0: Have you, um, I have a question, question for you guys. Have you ever been in a situation where you were observing something and you just knew it was gonna go bad? Like you're just watching it happen and you're like, this, this, uh, this is gonna end poorly for that person. And I don't, you know, there's probably, like we could probably categorize ourselves by like, if you go, go to this side of the room, if you step in, Go to, the, to uh, maybe there's a middle section. Go to this side of the room. If you just kind of ignore, stay right here if you actually watch for entertainment, right? Like, but you know, so it's interesting. Like I, I know I have seen that many times. I'm a scenario guy. I'm a people watcher. And so I have been there many times and that's often how I learn about myself. But I, I do remember a time and, and I feel like maybe some of you have heard this story but apply it a different way. But I do remember a time when it would have been really helpful to have someone there looking over my shoulder (laughs) to help me out, of like, this moment's not going to end well. Growing up, I was a consummate procrastinator. And I say it in past tense, but it's probably still present. But I was a very good procrastinator. I I had chores every day. I had a great ability to find ways to distract myself. And so this day, I was supposed to be vacuuming. I think I was in middle school. And I'm home alone, I'm back in my parents' room, but, uh, vacuuming their, uh, their, their room, and I look on the dresser. And my, my, my stepdad, was a, um, he, he was an electrician, and there was this little thing on his, on his dresser that you could plug into an outlet, just this little thing, and it had three lights on it, red, white, and yellow, and depending on the wiring of the outlet, it would light up a different light. And so my empirical, curious, scientific mind Wanted to see if I could affect what lights came on. So then I devised, a, you know, very, very, in a very kind of a, you know, stout scientific method. A way to do this was to plug the device in just enough to engage power, but leave the prongs exposed. And then I was thinking, I'm going to now touch these prongs with different things. Yeah, I know, I needed you there. Yeah, and so like I was going to touch these prongs. With different things to see what would happen. And I looked around, and I was like, well, what's a good apparatus to do this with? And next on the dresser, as is often, uh, I see a penny. I'm like, that's conductive. That'll do. So I grabbed the penny and I'm I, without a thought in the world, like I'm going and I'm a, and I'm going, and I'm going to use the penny to touch the prongs. And a little, a little, like, spoiler alert, I'm still here. So, like, it didn't go as bad as it could have been. And only by the grace of God, because what happened is as I went to touch the prongs, the, the angle, like, the fact that it's a pretty tight space, right, small penny on my fingertips, the penny slips out of my hands. I mean, like, literally millimeters away, because as it slips out of my hands, it hits the two prongs, sparks fly, lights go out i'm like am i blistered i don't know i call my parents and i'm like hey i I, I don't know what happened i was trying to vacuum and a fuse blew i can't vacuum today and i look at the piece i mean literally like grooves are melted into the prongs so i needed someone there that day to step in and say heath this is not gonna go well it's not gonna end well And that story sets us up perfectly for today as we continue in the Minor Prophets and looking at Amos. Um, So, you know, we're kind of starting to develop this kind of rhythm as we go of of kind of how we're going. This is our third week in the Minor Prophets. We've looked at Hosea. We've looked at Joel. Now we're at Amos. And with that rhythm, there's going to be some repetition. So if you're here every week, like, this is really going to get concrete, but, uh, but we also want to make sure everyone's up to speed. So there's some things you're going to hear a lot, like, to say that they were minor prophets, it was not that they were minor leagues, they were not less effective, it's just this, the, the length of their books. And really it was Augustine who, who kind of came up with that terminology, and it was only because of the length of their writings. And then typically, and similarly, there is kind of this pattern that we see addressed in the prophets. We see that there's an offense by the people of God, and there is this prophet that is called out by God to speak a message to turn the people of God back. We're going to see that once again today. So before we jump in, just one quick word about the prophets that may be helpful. Just kind of one more little insight. I, I, you know, think about like what was a prophet? What was their job description? What was their definition of a prophet? And I really like how, how R. C. Sproul put it. He said, "Whereas the priests." Who you know the high priest of the time, who who stewarded the temple, offered the sacrifices, brought the sacrifices to God for the people to make confession for the people, so that people could be, you know, still sanctified and set apart and before God. The priest's job was to speak to God on behalf of the people. The prophet's job was to speak to the people on behalf of God. You understand that, the difference? So like the priests, they, they came to God representing the people, making sacrifices for the people. The prophet was the one coming to the people saying, guys, guys listen up. God has a word for you. So I just I found that to be helpful. I wanted to pass that on to you. So today I pray that our hearts, our minds, and lives are open to what God has to say through Amos to the people of Israel. Like, hey, this isn't going to end well because we probably don't have to search too hard to find a memory of our own and probably maybe even a current moment, that we we may need this call out, and certainly there are people around us that need to hear a loving truth. So let me pray for us before we go any farther. Um, God, we love you, Um, and I just thank you for just this opportunity this morning. Um, This opportunity to be with uh, friends, with family, with the people of God, with sojourners and seekers along the way, with uh, people that are familiar, people that are unknown. And um, I thank you that we all have a chance to be uh, here with you, God. Lord, I know that you have offered us an abiding life with you. You are ever-present and ever-near, but uh, as we kind of come with this posture of receiving, this posture of learning and listening, I know that you are faithful, that your work will be complete in us. So whether this is something new to people here or whether this is old hat and a very common kind of experience, I pray that uh, your work would be complete today. I pray that the words that pass through my lips would be called aflame by the Holy Spirit, Lord, um, that they would penetrate our hearts, minds, and lives, Lord, that we would know you, God. And, Lord, that we would be changed by you, that we would understand who you've made us in Christ and what our purpose is in this world. So, Lord, we thank you for your love, truth, and grace. Uh, Work now in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead, if you have not, and open up your Bibles, if you have one, to Amos 1. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we'll have text on the screen, a lot of it today. Uh, and if you do, if you don't have a Bible or you want to use one today, that uh, please use one of these underneath your chair. If you don't own one, please take that home with you. Uh, it's our gift to you. If you are using these Bibles to help you out, uh, Amos is found on page 649 of the ones with the black border and page 446 of the white ones with the blue text. Okay. So just like as we have done, this is a, like a big kind of flyover view of, uh, of Amos. So we're going to be kind of jumping around. So, you know, I, you know feel, feel free to Bible drill once again if you want to try to keep up. But also know that it will be up here um, and might be just easier for you to kind of write references down as we go. Because we're going to be kind of, just, it's nine chapters and we're going to cover nine chapters hopefully in the next 30 minutes. So, <laughs> they're laughing because they know. So, okay, so let's jump in. So, so while you're turning there, maybe kind of get in your place, uh, some background that may be helpful. Just first off, who was Amos, right? So, Amos, the name itself, names are meaningful at this time. Uh, names, hopefully, are not meaningful now because my name means vast wasteland, just so you know. So, I was like, Thank you, parents. They were like, that's not what it meant. And I was like, well, they don't sound like that, but when you're talking about your parents, you make them sound like that. But anyway, I'm uh, this is not a day for me to be doing this. We have like nine chapters with 10 pages of notes. With anyway, so let's just focus. Okay, so his name is Amos. Name the name Amos means burden bearer, bearer, bearer. Burden bearer. He bared burdens is what his name meant. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom. The, the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel, the 12 tribes at one point in their history had split into a northern and a southern. Ten of the original tribes became the, the northern kingdom known as Israel. Two of the tribes became the southern kingdom known as Judah. So, so Amos lived in the south, interestingly enough. But he was called to the north. That's not very common. So God called him out to the north. So Amos lived in Judah, the part of the southern kingdom. He, he lived in this little area called Tekoa. It's about 10 miles south of Jerusalem near Bethlehem, if you care about this kind of stuff. His occupation, he was not a professional prophet. He was a sheep herder. He was just a normal guy. He was a farmer, and he, he, he farmed sycamore fig trees. So he watched sheep and farmed and harvested fig trees. So not a professional prophet. So interesting, just some interesting color that will help us understand some things as we go. And we see this in Amos 1.1, 1, 1, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam. That's Jeroboam II, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And then in Amos 7.14, we see him describing himself. And Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the the Lord took me from the fall from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, "Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord." So we see from his time frame that you know that he he did this during the time of Jeroboam the second and King Uzziah that his. His time of operation was like 760 to 753 B.C., so a relatively short time for a prophet to work. Um, And just to think about what was happening in their world kind of culturally and and economically and government-wise, all that stuff, similar to what we looked at in Hosea, Hosea followed right after this. Hosea, if you remember, we said did his ministry from 750 to 722, so Hosea came right after this. So a very similar time. And so with that, there was a lot of expansion for the people of Israel. There was a lot of peace. There was a booming economy, a lot of comfort. So there were no serious threats at the time. They're kind of their typical foes, the usual suspects of Assyria and Babylon. They were both in a temporary decline. So again, so interestingly, like as we have said the past couple of weeks, as there has been this comfort And ease, unfortunately, there has been this rising of complacency and idolatry. And so because the people of Israel had defined God's goodness by the circumstances of their lives, remembering what they were experiencing, they had a false sense of God's favor and pleasure. They thought, well, because we are experiencing so much abundance, God has to be pleased with us. He must we must be doing it right. It's kind of where they were. So there was this culture of presumption and entitlement that led to, I mean, not just apathy, not just complacency, but total corruption and depravity. I mean, it's, it, it gets ugly, and we'll kind of read through some of those in just a moment. So that's kind of some of your background. And Amos was called out from a shepherd to a prophet to bring this messenger, to, to be a messenger of repentance, right, as we have seen. And, we, and again, remembering as we think through what, what is repentance, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks. It is, it is this turning away from the things that we are trusting over our God. And again, remembering the people of Israel, they were the ones who God said, you are my people and I am your God. You know through you I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the entire world so that through you my chosen people all those of the world would come to know me They would know my goodness and my glory. And so there's this call of repentance because we see over and over again that they have turned to trust other things. And it is saying these things are not trustworthy. Again, whether it's self, whether it's strength, whether it's achievement, whether it's position in society, whether it's reputation, whether it's just comfort, whether it's where you live, whether it's family affiliation. Again, all these things that people have turned to for meaning are just, again, maybe it's pleasure. Turn away from those things and trust the Lord. It's a timeless message it's no different right it continues so once again we see amos was called to the north to this message of repentance and it's i just think it's fascinating i I'm reading the way this starts amos when well, god through amos sets the people of israel up dirty like he sets them up real real just it's just like oh like the one that seems like you bite your knuckle it's like oh gosh, so like Amos he starts with this dreadful picture of an all-powerful God, of an all-powerful God in the image of a lion coming to devour the evildoer. We see that in Amos one two it says, and he said the Lord roars from Zion, and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of the Carmel withers. So we see this, this kind of this tone of impending doom, and the, and so they're listening. They're like, okay, where's he going with this? And then he, and they're like, okay, you know, I'm interested. This sounds like, okay, he's talking about this is coming from Jerusalem, so we're good. So probably somebody else. And then if you look in 1 3 through 2 3, he goes through these, these oracles of judgment against the surrounding nations of Israel for how they've treated people. And these nations, are, they're all, all, all but one of them are the, are the Philistines. But we see it's these others. So like in Amos 1, 3 through 5, we see this statement of like for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. So Damascus is, is the capital of Assyria. So again, they're typical foes. In, these, in this terminology, just so you know, three transgression, transgressions and for four. In the Hebrew, three is the number of plurality. And so it's saying like, and then four is this, kind of brings it to this place of totality. So in doing this kind of equation over and over again, he's pointing out the total offense, the totality of of their situation, of what they have done. It's the, the graveness of what they have done. So just to kind of orient you. So he says they've threshed Gilead with threshing sledges. And this is a picture of like a harvesting picture. You bring the grain in and you let, you spread it out on, this, on the ground. And they bring these huge timbers and drag it over the grain. And in that it crushes and separates out the grain as they harvest. And so there's this picture of the way that they've treated the people of Gilead. It says you've crushed them. You've, so it's this picture. It's this accusation against them. And God says, I'm going to send fire on them. I'm going to break the bar that holds the gate safe, and, be, and, and I'm going to take them into exile. What's the people's reaction? They're like, yeah, down with the Assyrians, you know. Good, good word. That's right. That's right, Amos. We're with you, bro. Down with the Assyrians. And so then he keeps going. You now he looks at Gaza, and he, says, and he sees that they, there's this accusation that they took the people captive, and then he, again, God will send fire. He's going to cut off the, the inhabitants of, that they have from others. God will be against them until they all perish. Again, yeah, man. All right, good job, Amos. I like this. Keep going. All right, so that's, that's, that's Damascus. Now we got Gaza. And then in 1, 9 through 2, 3, he goes on with these similar oracles of judgment against Tyre, Edom, the Ammonites, and Moab. And these are, if you look at a map, these are all the the, the areas around Israel. They're typical enemies. So again, I mean, you just imagine these people are like, yes, we're with Amos. Who is this dude? We don't know him because this little nobody came up from the south, but we like what he has to say. And then in 2, 4, and 5, Amos now speaks on oracles of judgment against Judah, Judah is what? The southern kingdom? So they're kinda like, Well, wait, okay, this is these are part of the tribes, but they're not us. And it was pretty it was not a peaceful split. It was it was rough. I mean, to the point where King Jeroboam the First Created a system of false worship to make it harder for the northern kingdom to go back and worship in the southern kingdom to keep them from returning to David at that time. So again, it's ugly. So so they're like, well, wait, 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 wait. These are these are kind of us, but they're not. It's still southern kingdom. So all right, you go Amos. We like this, but now in two six, and for the rest of the time, God through Amos turns his focus on the northern kingdom of Israel. And God is addressing this culture of presumption, this culture of entitlement, this culture of oppression, and this culture of, of, of again, just abuse that has led to these two primary messages. And the two primary messages from Amos are this. First is that he addresses this abuse of power in the social realm. And if you look at the judgments, it's really about how they treated people. And this is the theme of Amos. It is about how those who have treat those who don't have. It's really about how you treat God's people, and God's people are His creation in this sense. It's all people. And so there's this first, this, this real clear message that Amos is calling them out for their abuse of their power in, their, in the social realm. He says there's, an, there's oppression and there's injustice, there's deceitful gain. There's using position of power not only for their selfish gain, which is bad enough, but also for the harm of others. So just to kind of take us on a hopscotch through, through Amos to let us see some of these moments, we're going to read uh, quite a few, maybe six passages, all right? So they'll be up here. We're going we're gonna to fly through them, but this will help you see this. So in Amos 2, 6-7, says this, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy. These are people for a pair of of sandals. They, They have just detached that much from valuing God's people. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profane. So just out of the gates, it just turns your stomach. It's rough i mean they they they're doing they're doing they're they're desecrating families they are they are abusing people they're selling people and all for their gain and they are relishing in what they have Amos 3.15, and I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end. And again, so God is contrasting this way that they treat the, 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 those who have less resources while they sit there and they just continue to lavish opulence on themselves. Amos 5.7, O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, and here there's like these 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 little hints of like calling them to their identity. There's little hints of him reminding them of what they're supposed to be about in these moments of judgment. Uh, Amos five eleven and 12, Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact tax- taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You've planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine, for I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Again, going downhill. Amos 6, 4-6, Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music who drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves in the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. And just picture the scene of, of someone who is meant to be the caretaker of God's, God's design and will for the world to bring his hope and deliverance. And yet they're sitting in their rooms of comfort. They're reclined as if they haven't a care in the world. And they're partaking, partaking of every good thing they were given as if it was theirs alone. While the people outside languish and mourn. That's the picture. And yet they're supposed to be responsible for them. And then Amos 8, 4 through 6, he says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor, yes, of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over? That we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale. That we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. Don't miss what happened here. Like you see, they are still holding to their 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 sacred rhythms. They're going to temple. They're going and making sacrifices, but they're doing it with the posture of like I can Like when is this going to be done so I can get back to making money. When are we going to be past this so I can get back to, like, you know, just providing for myself and making myself better and making my life better? Again, in a destructive way for others. And just to, I didn't, don't have this in my notes, but, like, this is not a message against wealth, just to be really clear. It's not a message against wealth. It's a message against thinking that it is yours for your benefit. It is against thinking that it is yours outside of of knowing that it is all from God and for his purpose. Right? Just to be really clear, a little quick caveat. So we also see, so Amos is confronting this, this, this just devastating injustice and social just apathy for the people around them. And then we also see Amos confronting a compromise with their paganism, with their false worship in the religious realm. So, yes, they're still keeping their their sacred rhythms, but yet we also see them kind of syncretizing, that's mixing in other other religions. It started at the very beginning, as I said earlier, Jeroboam I, in an attempt to make it harder for the northern people to come to the southern kingdom to worship. He he created a, a, a different... System of worship. He created a couple of different places, one in the north, one in the south, to make it easier for them to go offer their offerings. He created images of, of bronze horned calves. I mean, like that sounds familiar maybe if you're familiar with the Exodus story. Um, but this, so this began and it, and it only got worse. So it's been a couple hundred years now since that moment and it's just gotten worse. And you see Amos, God, through Amos, Kind of pointing out the absurdity of how they observe their ascent to their God. Um, Amos 4, 4 through 5 is just this biting satire. He says, Come to Bethel, which is one of the places of worship. He says, Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgression. These are places that are, you know, that are places of worship. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim free will offerings, publish them, for you for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. So hear the hear the indictment. He sees them doing the right things, but with the totally the wrong heart and for the wrong reasons, and he's calling it out, saying, like, hey, yeah, come. Come and transgress instead of come and worship. Amos 5, 21 through 23 says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. This is God speaking through him. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. So he's, he's addressing just this empty shell of worship. Just going through the motions, putting on the face, putting on the front, doing what is expected to hold your place, but yet still having no acknowledgement of who God is. The people of Israel had continued to live by the letter of the law. They continued to live by the letter of the law, pursuing to live out the statutes, and yet had forgotten that God gave the law. that They would also live out the spirit of the law, the heart of the law, the heart of God. It was not given just to make sure they have good behavior. It was given that the heart of God would be, would be spread through the world through his people. It was given so that, yes, there is a standard of how you were to live and how we are to live, but it is not so, that, does not, that is not what makes you God's people. It is not what makes you acceptable to God. It is what shows that you are his, that was always the intent, and yet they were doing it as some claim to position. The law of God was given to reveal his character and lead his people to, leave out, to live out his manner so that the world would come to know his goodness and glory. So the, the, the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, they needed to be woken up from the destruction they were heading toward. They thought they were fine, but God through Amos said it's not going to end well, and he sent them to wake him up, and they' were heading toward that without any inclination that they were set against their own god's heart it's a grave predicament in spite of the appearance of prosperity and peace. So those are the two main messages of Amos, and we think about how we you know we're starting to see a pattern of how God responds in these moments, how God responds in history and to his people. And so we see similarly there is this predictable pattern of God. So I want us to see a couple of the predictable ways that God has responded once again. God is predictably patient in his forbearance with his people. He, give, he calls over and over again he, he remembered this picture we talked about last couple of weeks of, of he is imploring, please turn, please return to me. I love you. I want you to know what is good. I want you to experience what is good. You're heading the wrong way. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt others. That is what the call to repentance is. And so we see this picture here. I'm going to read a few passages you know, I say we're skipping around in Amos, looking at all of our—Derek said it. He's like, it probably would have been easier just to copy and paste the whole book. Well, actually, we're reading a lot of Amos, which I love because we don't know a lot of Amos. So Amos 4, 6 through 11 says, so hear this, God being patient, calling his people. And we have to remember when we see God make these calls of uh, these calls to his people, and, and, it, and it is a call of, of incoming judgment— We have to remember that it is the kindness of God. We are told in Romans that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is because it's what they were created for. It's because it's them returning to their first love. It's them returning to their God and their maker. Them returning to the life that is full. The life that is actually what we were wired for. And so it is a kindness to hear these words of judgment. God is imploring them, please turn back. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. That means they didn't have food. They didn't have, like, good crest and advanced toothbrushes. It's saying they didn't have anything to make their teeth dirty. They're, they were famished. Okay? So they were, I gave you cleanness of teeth and a lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. That's not good. I will send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into the nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were, as a brand, plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Amos 5, 4 through 6, another picture of this. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Invitation. But do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and a devour with none to quitch it for Bethel. Saying, pursue me, not just religious acts pursue me. He's calling them. Amos 5, 14 and 15, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts will be with you as you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So God is predictable in his patience and his forbearance with his people with such mercy. And grace over and over again, imploring them, return to me, turn to what is good. Next, we see that God is consistent in his promise and commitment to justice. And this is the day of the Lord stuff we saw a lot in Joel that we've been talking about. The day of the Lord, just to review, for, for those who hope in Christ, is a wonderful day. Because the day of the Lord, regardless, is a day of promises fulfilled. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So on the day of the Lord, when when we finally say, okay, that's it, we, we we used the illustration last week about you know having kids, and we warn our kids and warn our kids and warn our kids and t- tell them about the consequences they're gonna receive. And at some point, we just have to say, they've got to experience the consequence. They've got to. I'm still gonna I'm still gonna keep them from destroying themselves. But I need them to learn. This is that moment. And for a promise to be a promise, it has to be fulfilled, and because because there is a sin against God, the promise is for all who call on him the Lord will be saved and all who don't will not. And that's what we're seeing here. Once again, God is consistent in his promise uh, to his commitment for justice. The day of the Lord is a day of hope for those who trust, a day of dread for those who do not. Amos 4.12, Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel." Prepare to meet your God. Like, uh, hopefully that gets their attention, gets your attention. Amos 5, two, fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. Amos 7.17, therefore thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. Uh, you yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. So God is giving this picture of like this is what happens, this this will come, and this is why He's calling them to repentance. He's like it doesn't have to be this way. Return to Me. So He is consistent in His commitment to His promise and justice, and then and justice. God is consistent in that He doesn't end the destruction. He doesn't end with destruction for His people. We've seen it over and over again. There is these just gut-wrenching like words of woe and judgment, and yet these beautiful pictures of grace and redemption and deliverance. And it's always, it is always meant, God's God's judgment is meant to bring, his proclamation of judgment is meant to bring people to restoration. And so for Amos, you know, it's interesting because in Hosea and in Joel, it's kind of sprinkled in throughout. And then it kind of came real clear. With Amos, it really doesn't come in. You don't get the, the relief, the payoff, until the very last five verses, from Amos 9, 11 through 15. It says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes. Him who sows the seed, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will destroy the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So this is a proclamation to the people of Israel in a nation sense. You will be restored as a nation. But what we know, praise God, is that Jesus came and extended that and made that an even deeper deliverance and realization that in him we have direct access to God. In him, as God's always intent, all people are now God's people, right? And we see that Jesus fulfills that. And we see this beautiful theme over and over again that out of destruction, beauty comes. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is, uh, God, God in His sovereign grace will work His will to claim and restore and sustain His people. Again, God made the covenant with them. He said, you are my people. I am your God. So even though there is these moments of judgment and correction, He is always committed to keep that covenant. So He always restores, keeps a remnant to restore. So, to kind of wrap all this together, the people of the northern kingdom had developed an entitled view of the promise of blessing and had misinterpreted their abundance as a sign of God's pleasure with them. God sent a nobody shepherd from the southern kingdom to proclaim a message of repentance and humility to those in power and the elite in the northern kingdom. God showed that he showed that he will keep his promises through both judgment and deliverance through repentance. And that he cares about the well-being of his creation, his people, and not just how well they perform. How well they keep their religion. He cares about their well-being. He cares about their heart. He cares about them knowing him. So there's your overview of Amos. Um, so we're going to use just the last few minutes here. We're time to quickly focus on some key takeaways. And these are quick um, for us today. So, first off, thinking of Amos, we are called to go where it is difficult. I mean, again, Amos, his name, the burden bearer. What was his burden? I mean, we see one, just to have the call of God and to feel what God feels, he felt the burden of the shepherd. He felt the burden of the one who is responsible. He responded to that call. It was a call that didn't make sense. So he felt the weight of that, to leave, to leave what he knew, a simple life in his home, and to go to a place that he was unwelcome and to proclaim a truth that was not welcome. But also, him being a nobody shepherd from the southern kingdom was called out to go and call the wealthy and powerful to humility and repentance. Doesn't make sense. You look at it, and you're like trying to match make mission. It doesn't match. You're like, no, 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 no. Like get, get. You know the bank trader guy to go. Get the guy that you know has surrendered his life to Jesus and sees all he does for the kingdom. Get him to go. He's going to have a better voice of influence. Talk about another repeated theme: the unlikely, the outsider, the the the, the rejected being the one that God platforms and uses. So he bore this burden of, like, I mean, think about the insecurity. Like, uh, let's just put ourselves in Amos' shoes. Like, that's crazy. So he bore this burden of going to a place that was far beyond him. And he did it, he went. And we have to see that we're called to go where it's not easy, but we also see that we don't go in our authority. It's not our authority that makes the truth of God effective. And that's why one of Jesus' last words is what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in saying this next, he's saying, And I'm passing it to you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the ends of the age. So we can we are called to difficult places, and we can go to difficult places because we don't go in our authority and we don't go alone. All authority in heaven has been given to Him, and He charges us and calls us out, and He is with us. What a promise! Next, we see that we're uniquely equipped for the call of our lives. It's no coincidence that Amos was the one that got called out, that it wasn't the investment banker that that gave his life to God. What do I mean by that? What was the need to be seen in the northern kingdom? It was the oppressed, marginalized. It was the neglected one who has lesser resources. Shepherds were bottom of the totem pole. So Amos, of all people, would see it. Again, think about this. like Amos was basically doing the same thing during during the time that Hosea did. And just think, if you were here for Hosea, Hosea used this grand metaphor and picture of of showing an unfaithful bride, calling the people of Israel unfaithful. That That was Hosea's wiring and personality. Amos was the one who would see the hurting and the afflicted. So we see from this it is that we are uniquely equipped for the call of our life. So when we are called to difficult places, there is a reason that it's you and not me. I'm called to my own difficult place. You have a difficult place to call to, that you, or just a place that you are. Again, and it's not even just a sense of calling. Like wherever your feet are is where your opportunity is. And that's what you're uniquely equipped for. Like, let's just, let's just practically think about it. Like, wherever you work, you have been trained to some degree to make you qualified to work there. I, for the most of you, could not come into your place and say, hey, I'll, I'll do their job today and do it like you would. I'm very capable in my role. So just the practicalities of what you've gone through makes you uniquely equipped. Also, just the, the way, the unique way that God created you and wired you makes you uniquely equipped. So that's why this this call that we just read in Matthew 28 is not just for a few but it is for all. It is one of our blanket calls of our lives. And this is the beautiful work of the body of Christ. It is through each of our uniqueness that we can actually have an influence and a spread of God's love, truth and the gospel in Jesus to a myriad of places. We're not we, we don't have access to just a couple of little niches. Like look at this room. We're alike in a lot of ways. But we're also really different in a lot of ways and because of that like where you are i'm not the people you can relate to like i i tried oh can i just tell y'all a really embarrassing story Uh, yes thank you for your permission this happened a couple nights ago i don't know if amber even noticed this she hasn't mentioned it we're at a movie and i see someone i know behind me i'm saying hi and he's got tattoos on his arms like i have tattoos on my arms now um, but I don't exactly have like the tattoo persona, you know, and so like I'm talking to him and I like, it was like so awkward and non sequitur and I was like, hey man, look at this, I just got these. And he was like, all right, man. And then like I recognized I'd kind of gone off the rails so then I tried to fix it by saying, yeah, man, just, just trying to find another point of commonality. Oh, I, that happened. Did you notice that? Oh, so glad you didn't. Now we all know, though. So, anyway, the point of that is that we are all wired to relate to different people. <laughs> I did not relate well to that guy in that moment. Um, anyway, so <laughs> that is the beautiful truth that we can see here. We are each uniquely equipped to the opportunities God has placed around us, and specifically to the ones that He calls you to. So I always say this when I talk to people with a calling that are like trying to discern. They say, you know, I say if, you've, if you encounter a need in your life that in your wiring, equipping, and skill set cannot be met by you, here's the crazy statement, it's either not your calling, not your responsibility, because guess what, you're not the only one God uses. Or if it is your responsibility that you feel like God places it on your heart, guess what, you've got the body of Christ around you. And you get to bring someone else who compliments the area that you don't have. And you get the joy of being humbled while seeing God work in ways that you can't do or be a part of. What a cool thing. I need to speed up. But just to give you a picture of this, 1 Corinthians twelve eleven through 14, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. One some and all. If we can just really grasp what that means, each of us have opportunities in your life that is right for, for you to respond to alone. It's the daily interactions, the daily opportunities that you live in every day. You will encounter needs that are beyond your capacity. And that's when and it's in bringing some of your community alongside you to expand your capacity of either resource or kind of ability to relate or just revealing the character and love of God. And then there are things that are beyond the sum of us, and we need all of us. And that's when we say, come all. Let's, let's respond to this with the love of God as God's full image bearers, because that's what the church is. What a cool picture. So the position of blessing that we have been given in Jesus is never meant to result in, our, in only our benefiting. And that's our, this is our kind of last takeaway Amos 524 says, but let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. As those who have experienced the delivering, redeeming, liberating, abundant grace of Jesus, would you call that a privilege? Did you earn it? Do you deserve it? Because of God's love, you're right, Jack you're right. But we didn't do that. But yet, we have access to the Holy Spirit. We have access to relationship with God. We have have a place of privilege. It is never meant to reside just here for my benefit. Yes, praise God. Live with the joy and the freedom and relish in it but yet, it, let justice roll down. Let righteousness be ever, an ever-flowing stream from your life. We have to see God's concern for justice in the treatment of those you have power and influence over connecting to the same message of Jesus. There's this moment in Mark 11 that we see where Jesus is in the temple, and he sees that they have taken the court of the Gentiles, the place where outsiders were meant to be welcomed in and given a place to worship the living God. And they had, the, the Jews had turned it into a place of market, a place of profit. And Jesus, you, you know, you've, Jesus turned the tables. What his wrath, what his anger was over is that they had taken this privileged position of being God's chosen people and made it for their profit at the neglect of those who God wants to be welcomed in. So we have to just pray that the Lord would work that in us. And as we think about this, that this moment that Amos is, re- is, re- is responding to, or maybe the moment there in Mark 11, who do you identify with? Do you identify with Jesus, Jesus, the, the, the angry shepherd and caregiver? You know, the, or as Amber would call it, like her mama bear comes out, right? Like she, whenever she sees an injustice to our kids, like you better watch out and hope you're not a part of it because... She will step in. Like, do you identify with that? Do you identify with the religious elite who, who maybe this is a wake-up call, or do you identify with the outsider who has been harmed and hurt over and over again by those who carry the name of Jesus? Hear the heart of God here. If you've been hurt, I am sorry. But hear the heart of God Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, just as the call to Israel was always a call back to God and a call back to who they were, this is what we walk away with too. We imitate God because we are His. Because he's our father, because he is the one who knows the way and shows the way. Yes, we have a purpose. We need to see that in our life. Our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Every breath that you have, every step that you take, every opportunity that is given is for God's glory and it's for the good of those around you. So yes, we have a purpose, but that purpose never comes first or never replaces our knowing God, our purpose comes from knowing God, from being his people. Purpose comes from what we were created for. Our doing for God must never overtake our knowing God. And so I just want to close our time before we go into a time of communion with something a little different today. I just want to do a time of silent reflection and response. And thinking about the importance, you know, mission is so important. We, the church exists for the cause of Christ. And that's both the reaching of, the, of those who don't know him as well as the building up and the caring for one another. But yet it is never meant to be separate from who God is, experiencing him, knowing him, and living in response to that. So I w- I just there's one question we chewed on and shared about in our last transformation group that I thought would be a wonderful moment of reflection for you just to sit here and prayerfully think about how have you recently experienced the goodness of God in your life? Like, if anything we walk away with, I, I pray we're inspired to mission, but I pray that it comes from our affection for God. And so, in here, in this time today, prayerfully think on that. If you if you think on this and you come to a place of saying, I haven't experienced the goodness of God recently. That's an honest, real response. Um, and I want to invite you to Don't be afraid of that response. And and even in that moment, say, God, why have I not experienced you? And maybe there's a moment for you, maybe for the first time, to surrender your life to Christ. For others, maybe it's a time if you are a Christ follower to say, to ask yourself, you know, are there other parts of my calling that are meant to be part of my identity and my relationship with the Lord that I have been neglecting? time with him in in the word and in prayer, time in fellowship with the body of Christ, time giving of yourself with the self-giving love of God shown in Jesus. So just take a few minutes, think on that, pray on that, maybe record your thoughts if you like, and then also want to encourage you, this would be a great thing to share with uh, brothers and sisters throughout the week. So you guys uh, take some time, Matt will come in a moment and lead us through communion.